Will you tell us in your word that your word is living, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces the division of our soul and our spirit, joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Lord, I pray this morning that you would do just that. Let that be a challenge to us, but also as we open your word, let it be an encouragement to us. Lord, we seek after wisdom and all kinds of places and all kinds of ways, but Lord, I pray that we would go to the source of all wisdom. You are wisdom itself, and you have revealed yourself and made yourself manifest through your Son, who is the very power and wisdom of God. Be with us in our time, in Jesus' name, amen. We'll consider the following types of people, maybe these different types of people Maybe they were you in the past, maybe they are you now, but for sure you can find somebody else that you don't know that fits these caricatures, okay? So go with me for a minute. We've got, first we've got Leroy the legalist. He is the super religious person who is super in his own mind, is super wise. He has wisdom that he will offer you whether you ask him or not, he's going to give it. He's got all kinds of rules for himself that he follows and he expects you to follow them as well. And the only friends that Leroy really has are people who also have burdensome rules, and oftentimes the people who have burdensome rules that hang out with Leroy have more rules than he does, and so they're friendless as well. But the reality about Leroy, the legalist, is this, is that he can't live up to his rules. He asks other people to live up to his religious rules, but he can't live up to them, and that does damage to his soul. To live in a self-righteous way. And then you have the extreme opposite of that. You have Ricky the rebellious. He's never met an opportunity to break a rule that he didn't love. He lives up. He lives it up. He's the guy down at um, the bar, the beer garden, who's been there since he was about 18. And he lives it up. And yet, he thinks he lives by no rules. And he anticipates to continue to live this rebellious life lifestyle, but his doctor has news about his liver, and he lives with the remorse and the regret of making his own rules. And then you have Paula the policymaker. You know Paula the policymaker, maybe, hope you're not on an HOA in your neighborhood. You know the lady on your HOA? We, we went to the guys, we're going to the girls too. Paula, the policymaker, is she's the director of your HOA with all the other people who like making rules. And so when a hailstorm comes, uh, it's going to take you two months to be able to replace the shingles because this person has to make sure you have the right color shingles on your roof. That's Paula. And if you want to buy a new dog, it has to be the right breed. The policymaker who makes irrational policies that Nobody can really follow. Feel a little pain there. And then you've got Olivia the Offended. She has taken to heart for 20 years something that Amber, the angry girl in high school, said to her. And it's affected her relationships for 20 years. And she's got a class reunion coming up. And she's not sure she wants to talk to Amber, the angry. Because she heard her so and angry. Angry Amber, she's changed. She's a kind lady now. And they're both thinking about this class reunion where they have to go back and relive 
that are high school years. Who wants to do that? And then you got Ben the Bitter. He grew up in a house of boys, and he doesn't, he's never figured out how to understand other people, more or less himself, particularly the ladies. He's had broken relationship after broken relationship in his life, and it's lent him to being bitter at the world, bitter really not being able to understand himself or anybody else, and he's the guy that blames everything on women. Lots of examples of different people, different scenarios, but there's, a common, there's some common denominators with all these folks. First of all, and this is, ought to be a relief to you, they're just human. They're just human beings trying to figure out life in a fallen world, but they lack something. All of them lack something. They lack wisdom. And I'm not talking about wisdom that the world gives us that has just put two plus two together in a rational way and the latest cultural philosophy of the day, and we make sense of life that way, surely human wisdom can help us. No, I'm talking about wisdom that only God can provide, a wisdom that is found when you understand knowledge and understanding, and you put it together. See, wisdom is meant to work. It's meant to be put to work in our lives, but the question is, how do you access God's wisdom? See, God is wisdom, and he's revealed in his son the very wisdom of God. So we're talking about godly wisdom this morning. And there's something else about these folks that I've, these characters or caricatures that I've made up this morning. You will find in seed form all of them in our text this morning. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 15 through 29, page 557 on the Bible in your seat, and maybe you kind of think through these different characters and go, I'm not anything like them. But the truth is, we are. We struggle with a faux righteousness when we come to church and we think we have it all together on Sunday morning. None of us are know-it-alls. None of us have all the answers, right? We struggle with being the know-it-all who knows all things. Many of us serve in places where we have to make decisions for large groups of people. And I can tell you personally that I've made some bad decisions that affect a lot of people around me. And so have you. And the reality is, is that we've also been deeply hurt by other people's words. And we have problems and relationships beyond that, making sense of that or opening ourselves up because of hurt. Things that people have said to us that we remember for 20 years. We also can struggle relationally with conflict and bitterness. And so this isn't just a made-up story. This is real in our lives. And Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's the guy, although being very foolish and very many times, he's the guy that asked God for wisdom. And God granted it to him. So let's go to Ecclesiastes 7 this morning and see the wisdom of God worked out in life. And I want you to notice as we read, I want you to notice that when we put God's wisdom to work, it brings a balance to our lives in the midst of extremes. It brings a strength to our lives when there is weakness and there is criticism, and it brings a discernment to our lives that otherwise we don't 
have. So let's look at it together. A couple of hard pieces in this text, and I'll unpack them and explain them. But verse 15, we'll start there, 557. Words will be up front. Check it out in your Bible. Solomon says this. He says, in my vain life, I have seen everything, everything under the sun he's seen. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Doesn't seem fair. But not, be not overly righteous. We're going to unpack what that means. Do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Verse 19, wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. But you know your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, and it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep and very deep, who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness and folly the foolishness that is madness, and I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God escapes her. Think Proverbs 5. But the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found. Yes, the preacher, while adding one thing to another and found the same scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man in a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Ladies, keep paying attention. We'll get there. See, this alone I found. Pay attention. That God made man upright. But they, man, has sought out many schemes. Let's look at verse 15 through 18. The first thing you see in verses 15 through 18, it's a hard passage to understand, but is this, here's your first thought for today. God's wisdom brings us a balance in a world marked by sinful extremes. Do you see the balance that he's shooting for in verses 15 through 18? Don't be overly righteous, don't be overly wicked. That doesn't mean on face value what you might think, just reading it in face value. So what he's doing is he's showing us two extremes. The righteous, the wicked, they both die. But look at verse 16. It says, be not overly righteous. Here's a place where you really have to interpret Scripture by other Scripture, don't you? Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, love the Lord your God just kind of halfway. He's not saying, hey, it's okay to be a little wicked, but not fully wicked. Because it's not going to work out very good for you. I don't think the text is saying that at all. I think he's pointing out two polar opposite extremes. Both are zealous. The first one, overly righteous. You can't be overly righteous in that vein and say, oh, I'm just going to go to church and I'm just going to kind of dabble in Christianity, but Jesus is not going to be my Lord. 
No, you don't get the fear of God. Look at the context, the fear of God out of that. No, I think he's talking about the self-righteous, the religious zealot who is pious, who does external works of righteousness. I don't think he's talking about halfway doing it as a Christian. I also don't think he is saying it's okay to be a little wicked. There's no fear of God in that either. You see that? See, both the overly righteous, meaning the Pharisee, both the Pharisee and the exceedingly wicked, both Leroy the legalist and Ricky the rebellious share some things. They play by their own rules. They have rules on their own. One of them is above God's rules, and one of them says, I'm going to do what I want to do. But they share that in common. And here's what we know about the fear of God. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Maybe you know this text. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Wisdom comes by humbling ourselves before God. That's how we attain it. Not being prideful like Leroy, the legalist, or exceedingly wicked like Ricky the rebellious. And the knowledge of the holy is insight. You know, I think we understand pretty well the exceedingly wicked. I think we have a grasp on that. But I think one of the areas in which Christians who seek to know God really struggle is more like Leroy, the self-righteous, because self-righteousness is often blinding. You can't see it. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you're there. Perhaps the person next to you are going, yeah, that's them, or maybe it's you. You know, Jesus had some pretty harsh things to say to the legalist, didn't he? He came next to the sinner who knew his sin. Man, he had some hard things to say to the scribes and the Pharisees. If you just glance with me, it's not up there, but remember the woes that Jesus spoke about the Pharisees in front of them and the disciples, Matthew 23. Listen to these words. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the Pharisees were there. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do they observe whatever they observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. And then he outlines the works. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries, that's what they wore on their heads to remind them of Old Testament scripture and their fringes long, so they have this external appearance of holiness. But they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces being called rabbi by others. And then he proceeds to give them what, what we know as seven woes. Woe to the Pharisees, woe to the scribes, woe to Leroy. He's a hypocrite and a blind guide. Jesus was rough on Pharisees who had their rules in and of themselves they're fences that they made above God's fences to say, yeah, you're not holy unless you do what I tell you to do. See, listen, the person who fears the Lord in his humility avoids the ditches, avoids the ditches of self-righteousness as well as the, being the rebellious. 
That's what this text is teaching us. His wisdom brings balance to these sinful extremes, and we see them all around us. Remember, we taught on this last spring, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, the parable, the parable that Jesus directs to the one who trusts in themselves and the one that shows contempt for others. Remember the two people in the, in the parable? You've got the tax collector and the Pharisee, and they both go to the temple to pray. Tax collector knows his sin, and he says he doesn't even go to the inner temple. He stays further out because he's so ashamed of himself and his sin, and he says what to God when he prays? He says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He knew what he needed. And do you remember the Pharisee? You could cut his legalism with a knife. It was so thick. When you read it, it just reeks. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men. He's looking around, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes and all, from all that I get, not from the bottom, from the top. Let me give you the Aramic translation of what this is. This is spiritual B.O. The Pharisee. He can't smell it, but that's what it is. And what does Jesus say? Blessed is the, are those who humble themselves. Those who exalt themselves will be what? Hum, humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he says, the tax collector who humbled himself leaves the temple justified. And the Pharisee lives, leaves the temple thinking he's the one that's justified. Monday through Thursday, 5.30ish, I head to the high school to pick up my son who's a football player at 5.30, and I wait, and these boys come out of the locker room. Listen, they've been in practice from about 2.30 to 5.30 in the heat. Coaches don't let them shower. They're trying to get them home, and they come out, y'all. They come out. If they have a shirt on, most of them don't. They have a shirt on. I love you, brother, buddy. If they have a shirt on, I owe them 10 bucks for this, I think. If they have, some of them have shirts. If they have a shirt on, here's they come out. It's like this. So they walk into the truck, and you know what I'm doing when they're walking to the truck? I've got my windows open. I've got the AC kicking, and I've got my Glade air freshener ready to go. It's not their fault. They're coming out of practice. They've been in the locker room, and they come and get in my truck. We have to cleanse later. And it just hits you like a ton of bricks. The smell. You got to cut your nose hairs before you show up. Sorry. Because it's thick. And listen, it's, you know when they throw the axe on, on top of it, it's worse. I love you. But here's the deal. We usually have like three of them because we're like the, the school bus for Westwood from football practice. Love these boys. And they get in and just hit you. 
they have no idea. No idea how bad they smell every day. I let them know. And it's not just their pits, man. It's these gloves, these new football gloves. I'm just going to drop them off at your house and put them somewhere. And you're going to smell it through your whole house. This, these latex gloves that are sticky. And they get all this. Y- y'all get the picture. It's a rough smell. But they don't know it. They don't smell it because they've been in it. Let me ask you. Is there any area of spiritual B.O.? Are there any signs from others that's present in your life, people trying to escape? When people offer you spiritual deodorant, as it were, are you willing to take it? Willing to consider that you might be like Leroy, the legalist a little bit, And more broadly, as I look at this text, is God's wisdom balancing out the extremes in your life? You know the extremes, broadly speaking, that you might fall into, whether it's political, whether it's the way you raise your kids, or the way you think of others who do it a different way. Is God's wisdom giving you a balance in these sinful extremes? Are there places where you are in the ditch, whether it's sin or a healthy preoccupation, that things that are not really centered on the wisdom of God, the fear of God? Are there places of apathy where you just don't care? Is there a pride that you can't see? See, we need help from God and his word. We need help from wise counsel to see often what we can't see. See, God's wisdom brings a balance to our lives in a world marked by sinful extremes. But it does something else in verse 19 through 22. Look at it. See, God's word not only brings balance, but it also brings strength. It brings strength in a world full of weakness and criticism. Look at verse 19 through 22 there. Get back there. In verse 19 through 22, look at it. It says it right there. This is not a reach. Wisdom gives strength. Who gets it? The wise man. More than 10 rulers are in a city. More than Paula, the policymaker. More than your local, state, federal government. You ever look around and go, how in the world did they come up with that policy? That's crazy. See, God's wisdom gives strength and understanding more so than 10 rulers of a city could have. Seek it. And not only that, look at verse 20, though. Be careful, God's wisdom. Surely, though, check yourself. There is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Even with righteousness, We're still sinful people that need help. This is kind of a precursor to what we see in the book of Romans chapter 3. We'll get to it in a little bit. Romans chapter 3 that reminds us whether we're the self-righteous, the moral, or the sinner, there is none righteous. No, not one. And look at verse 21, and I really want to hone in on verse 21 and 2 here for a minute. 
and such good practical wisdom about the strength in the midst of criticism. You ever take criticism and it's really hard not to respond? That's a strength of self-control, to not respond to harsh criticism. Look at what he says. This is good wisdom here. Do not take to heart all the things, all, that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Solomon is saying, don't let someone, don't let someone say something to you. Don't take it to heart. Don't take everything everyone says to heart. Olivia, the oppressed, right? Amber, the angry. Don't let it get to you. Listen, we need a filter with words that people say to us. We need a filter with our words too, we know that. But we need a filter, we need to have a filter with the things that come in. Whether it's things that people say to us, things we listen to on the news channel or whoever your favorite podcaster is, we need a filter. About six years ago, six, seven years ago, we had moved from Houston to Cyprus. And I remember turning on my sprinkler system in Cyprus, and I could smell the chlorine. You turn on the water in Cyprus where we lived, and they charged a lot. And it just reeked of chlorine. And you know those notices that you get in the mail, those creepy notices about your water? Like, hey, we tested the water, and we're required to tell you this is in it, this is in it, and this is in it. And so when we moved to Cyprus, we had heard about these things called Berkey water filters, Anybody heard of those? And so we bought one. And man, this thing is like, it's actually a purifier more than it is just a water filter like the $30 water filter or they're probably like $60 now. You buy for your, your fridge, your Brita, whatever. It's like, it's like a water filter on steroids. It has like four massive water filters. When we got this thing, the way that you test it is that you run water, you pour water in the top, and you put red dye in it. And the way you know it's working to test it is you pour a glass of water, and there's no red dye because those filters have filtered it out. You could literally pour stagnant water from a pond in Ghana, Africa, into this thing, and you got some water that you could drink coming out the other end. Could I tell you we need some filters like that with the words, the constant words that people say to us, don't we? Let me give you four. Listen, if, it's, if there's a foolish, harsh, angry person that has said something ugly to you, don't take it to heart. There's this old saying, it says, listen, when a mule brays and kicks you, Consider the source. It's a mule. That's what mules do. They bray and they kick. And they're indiscriminate about it. And so we don't need to take foolish people's words to heart. That's a filter that we've got to have. And yet, I don't know about you, but it takes a lot of strength to forget things that people have said to me, whether it's this week or last week or five years or 10 years or 20 years. You there? But consider the source. 
The second filter I would give you this morning is this. If a wise, trusted friend comes to you with a rebuke or a correction in love, take that to heart. At least consider what they're saying. If three friends who know love you and love Jesus come to you with the same kind of loving criticism, there are words that you do need to take to heart to consider. I don't think here he's saying, don't take anybody's words to heart. You know the person. I know it's me sometimes. I don't take anybody's word to heart. I need to. Third filter. Don't mistake. Listen, young people, this is really important. Don't mistake encouraging words for, from flattery. Young ladies, where are the young ladies in the room? Right here. There might be a boy out there that is encouraging you with their words. And maybe that's real. They love Jesus. I hope it's real. But it may be that they're trying to flatter you because they want something from you. And the same is true the other way, young men. With ladies who are trying to flatter you because they want something from you. That's true in our work lives. That's true in our lives. Consider why people are saying what they're saying. You say, well, Pastor, that sounds kind of like glass half empty. Sometimes you have to think critically. And that's okay. That's wise. And last, from the text, you got to see this. We want to skip over this. But the text says, be gracious effectively with people's harsh words because you've been there. You've said things to people. You've cursed people. So consider that. Consider opening your heart to forgiveness of people who have said hard things to you. Be gracious, knowing that you've done the same. Great wisdom. You see it? God's wisdom brings strength. It brings balance, but there's one other thing that it brings in this text, and it's really, really important. Look at it with me from verses 23 to 29. Verse 23, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise. Notice through the whole book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is kind of like this lab rat where he's testing things through, through his own grid. You notice that? He's observing, he's testing, he sees but here's the conclusion you could come to about Solomon, that he sees, and he's the wisest guy on earth, and yet he's still really foolish, and yet he still doesn't really understand himself. Do you see it here? He, he can't come to his own conclusions. He doesn't understand himself. We talk about this a lot. Yeah, I really understand myself. Really? There are depths to us that we can't understand. You know the person that's an enigma to you? Go, I can't figure them out. Well, guess what? We can't figure ourselves out. That's what he's saying. And then he comes later and he talks about this example of women. Be careful. <laughs> I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whom hands are fetters. If you go to Proverbs 5, you're going to see the adulterous woman, the scheming woman. He who pleases God can escape her. If you have God's wisdom and you fear God, you can escape her. But the sinner is taken by her. 
And he goes on and on. And then he says not only about women, he doesn't understand women. And you and I know the background of Solomon. There's a reason he has some confusing thoughts about women. Because God says, one man, one woman, what's Solomon done? He said thousands of women, hundreds of women. So there's a reason he's confused beyond the fact that he doesn't, we don't understand ourselves very well and we don't understand the opposite sex very well. There are things that he's contributed to the confusion in his life. But you come down even with other men, he doesn't understand 999 of them either and how they think and how they act. Look at it. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among these I have not yet found. What's not going on here, ladies, this is important. What's not going on here is Solomon is just the sexist guy. That's not what he's saying. The context is this. I don't understand myself. I, I don't understand others. I don't understand women. I'm confused. There's conflict. There's relational conflict. That's what he's saying, and if you want to press a little further, if you turn one page just to give you an example, he talks often in the book of Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and even in Ecclesiastes about the virtuous woman. Chapter 9, verse 9, as an example, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that God has given you under the sun. If you turn to the book of Proverbs, you see it. It's this is Solomon writing about the virtuous woman who is hard to find. Woman who fears the Lord. She shall be praised. So Solomon's not being sexist. As a matter of fact, you go to Proverbs chapter 5, and you say, see Solomon getting a little pre, basically PG-13 about enjoying the wife of his youth. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. You know, oftentimes when we come to a text like this and Especially men, we joke about Solomon. Yeah, he really knew women. Listen, this is sad. This is a sad commentary that he's providing on his own life of not doing it right. This is a sad example. You see, when we go outside of God's good design, outside of God's discernment, it brings confusion in whatever area of life. It just so happens that this is the example that he's bringing, but here's what he also says. It brings discernment. Do you see there? It also protects relationship. The one who pleases God doesn't give way to the adulterous, sinful woman. There's protection in seeking God's discernment and wisdom for your relationship with your spouse. This is what we see. And listen, if you're here this morning and you're married, Treasure, treasure the gift that God has given you in your wife, in your husband. Don't leave room for the affair that is an absolute mirage. God has designed you to have relationship with one spouse, one man, one woman, in covenant relationship, and that's hard because we don't fully understand ourselves or one another, and there's tension and hard there. But the answer is not grass is greener somewhere else. There's beauty in marriage, even through the hard. 
If you think you're going to get intimacy, if you think you're going to get love somewhere else because it's hard, I promise you, you won't. And I promise you, as a kid who went through divorce in his own family 30 plus years ago, I promise you, it'll wreck your life and your kids. Pursue your wife. Fellas, the best thing you could do in your marriage for your family is pursue your wife, to date your wife. The same for you, ladies. He might be gruff. He might have B.O. I'm not talking about spiritual man. He might not get it at all. But the best thing for you and the best thing for your family is to pursue him. And listen, I know I'm in a room and there are people who have broken marriages, who have had broken marriages. God is still there. He is your refuge. He is your strength. He loves you. He cares for you. And he can make beauty from ashes. Hear that. God's wisdom brings clarity to relationship from confusion. It brings strength and stability. Even when they're rough words, it brings a balance to these extremes. But how do I find it? How do I find God's wisdom? How do I access it? And how do I grow in it? Look at verse 29. Verse 29 says this. It's kind of big picture. See, this alone I found that God has made man upright. That's Genesis 1 and 2. He's made us for a relationship with one another. He used to walk with man in the cool of the day. But look at what man did. They have sought. They as us, humans. We have sought out many schemes. We think we can find wisdom on our own. That's what Adam and Eve did. I'll figure this out. God's holding out on me. And look at what happened. The brokenness of sin affects relationships, affects all the things that we've been talking about today. And so there's a brokenness to us that we're not upright anymore. Remember, Solomon has been saying all the way through here, there's crooked. The world is crooked. Our human wisdom is crooked. And look at verse 20. Verse 20 says that there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And verse 22 reminds us, remember, you curse other people too. The Bible says we all like sheep have gone astray, each to our own way, our own schemes, our own ability, proud ability to find our own wisdom. But God laid on Christ, the Messiah, our sins, and through his stripes, we are healed. So what I'm saying here is this. There are none righteous, no, not one. Not the religious, not the moral, not the heathen. And left to ourselves, we find ourselves in the caricatures that we open with this morning. To some degree or another. And the culprit to all of this is our sin. It's our sin. It's there's the things that we do. It's also inherent in our nature and who we are. So is there a solution to this massive problem? Of course, that's why we're here. Because we believe it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me read it. Look at these words. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. 
For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where, there is one, where is there one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Been talking about it. For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But look at this. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, pay attention to this sentence, okay? Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you want to know wisdom, You've got to know Christ. You want access to God's wisdom. You've got to know wisdom himself who's become a man and made himself known, who came in grace and truth to reveal the truth to us and die on a cross for our sins. You have no access to God's wisdom apart from Christ. He is our wisdom. Do you know that truth? And if you know that truth, how can I continue to grow in God's wisdom? How do I do that? When's the last time you opened your Bible? How much time do I spend listening to the voices out there versus the clear revelation and wisdom of God that he's revealed to us that I might know him? God's word brings wisdom. James says it this way. He says that let him who lacks wisdom wisdom ask God for it, meaning pray. Seek God in his word. Find godly counsel in the church. It's interesting because when you study wisdom versus knowledge and understanding, see knowledge and understanding, you can have it up here, but until you put it to work, you don't really have wisdom. See, wisdom is active. There's no such thing as wisdom that's on the shelf. See, wisdom is meant to be put to work. It's knowledge and understanding at work as we humble ourselves, fear of God, as we humble ourselves before God. It's a gift from God that when we put to work, it brings things like balance to our extremes. It brings strength to our weakness and criticisms that show up around us. And it brings discernment when there's conflict, you know, confusion in our lives. You see, God's wisdom can change and transform even our lives under the sun in the broken world. C3, today your takeaway is this. It's really two. If you don't know Christ yet, to know wisdom is to know Christ. Do you know him? And the second one is this. We have to put God's wisdom to work. Put it to work. Study the word. Study it with other people who might know it better than you. Seek counsel. Pray to God that he might give you wisdom in the scenarios and the circumstances that you are in. Let me pray.